We have reached a milestone tonight, Chapter 2 of Living Time. I know it. It seems like after all these, it's been well over a year, I think. We started, well, a year ago, was over a year ago, I think, that I did the first four and then stopped and decided we weren't doing podcasts anymore. And now here we are again because I have to answer to a higher power. I can't just do what I want. I'm like Hebrew National, and if you don't get that, well, you just missed a good one. Quality of consciousness. There is little doubt that we take our consciousness for granted in much the same way as we take the world as we see it for granted. This is such an amazing thing that it is remarkable. We take it so for granted that when somebody tells us we take it for granted, we take for granted that we take it for granted. It doesn't mean anything to us. So I want to just stop and you take your consciousness for granted because it's you. You don't have a consciousness. You think you are your consciousness. So obviously you take it for granted the same way you take yourself for granted, same way you take breathing for granted or digesting food or growing hair or fingernails. You take it all for granted. That's the way we are because we're asleep. But what we don't usually see is how we take the world as we see it for granted. We find it so difficult to grasp that the world could be seen in some other way. I remember one time I was up in Monterey visiting a couple of people. And the guy is he's dead now, but he was an interesting guy, you know. And we were talking about something, and I said, well, blah, 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 blah. He said, well, why would you think that? And I said, well, what else could it be? And he looked at me with this incredible look on his face, like, as if to say, I thought you were smarter than that. <laughs> but of course, I'm not. And I think I surprise people a lot when they figure out really how not smart I am. I think it usually shocks them because I think people give me a lot more credit than I deserve. And it's because I'm not really a deep thinker. I am intuitive. And so the things that I come up with are not really things that I spend a lot of time thinking about. As a rule, there are things that I have spent a lot of time thinking about. But I don't think that's where the light comes in. I think the light comes in unbeknownst to me. I think it's just these flashes of intuition, these flashes of higher consciousness that just come, and I don't really know. And there they are. And I, so I'll listen to these podcasts, and I'll go, wow, that was, that's, that's really right. And it's like the first time I heard it, or sometimes when I'm saying it, it's the first time I've ever heard it or ever thought it. And it amazes me. So I think people get used to that in this environment where I'm doing this, and they think, oh, well, he's smart. It's like, no, no, I'm really not. And of course, those of you who know me know that I'm not smart. Some of you still like to believe that I am, but that's dumb to do that. Anyway, he looked at me like, I thought you were smarter than that. And then he told me another way to see it. And I went, oh, well, that's right. But I had taken the world as I saw it for granted. And I thought, everybody must see it this way. And if you'll think about your life, look at how many problems that's caused you. Misinterpreting, misunderstanding what other people are saying. Completely missing it. Absolutely missing it altogether. Because you couldn't imagine that somebody could see the world differently than the way you saw it. And it's usually people we know people we don't know, it's not such a big deal. We think, oh, that guy. 
where does he live? You know, is he from Mars? I mean, you've met people like that, right? Where you just think, okay, well, clearly we're not on the same planet. We don't have anything in common. And I think that's how we see the world. And I think it's something that we really need to work on. We need to work on remembering. And this is where external consideration comes from. We need to work on seeing the world through other people's eyes. And that, in my opinion, is part of external consideration. Our consciousness seems final. It's like, well, that's the way it is. And look at how our opinions are. It's amazing how many times you quarrel over your opinion. When you think about it, that's the dumbest thing to quarrel about. Your opinion. It's like, what does it matter? So you have an opinion and someone else has a different opinion and you quarrel over it? Why? Because our consciousness is so final. Because we think this is the only way to see it. And we don't think our consciousness is an opinion. We think it's the way it is. We take for granted that it's the way it is. It seems the only kind of consciousness that we can possibly know. While we may doubt our memory, and that, you have to admit, you don't do nearly often enough. You should, and I don't like to use the word should so much, but you should do it a lot more than you do it because your memory is completely unreliable. And what makes it completely unreliable is that sometimes you remember things correctly. And that makes you think that you remember things correctly all the time. But if you were actually to examine your memory, you would see that not only do you not get it right sometimes, you never get it right because your consciousness is such that you couldn't possibly get anything right because your consciousness is subjective. And until you get an objective consciousness, then anything you remember is subjective. And if it's subjective, it's wrong. It's partial. It's not what's so. It's not the truth. It may be some part of the truth, like you remember the story about the four blind men and they were asked, feel this elephant. One of them grabs the trunk and he thinks the elephant's a snake. And one of them grabs one of the legs and he goes, oh, it's like a tree. And one of them grabs the tail and he goes, oh, it's just this little creature with a, like a rope. Okay, that was three, wasn't it? Well, maybe the fourth one grabbed an ear. <laughs> he thought something else. Anyway, the story goes something like that and I just butchered it, but I know you'll forgive me because if you don't, you're an idiot. I mean, who would not forgive someone for anything? Why not just take poison? It's the exact same thing. Unforgiveness is like you taking poison. So you look at somebody and you go, oh, yeah, we'll take this. And you drink the poison. Wow, that was a good idea. Anyway, that's what unforgiveness is like. So don't do it. And so we may doubt our memory or even our powers of thought. Well, and that's another thing. When you come to grips with the fact that there are people who are smarter than you. Curtis and I were talking tonight, and we were talking about music theory. Well, music theory to me is like math. And we both took the same course in college, the same music theory course. And he said, well, you took the same course I did. I said, yeah, except that I didn't learn anything. And I didn't. I know how to play music. I know how to make music. But I really don't care about music theory. I care about music, not music theory. And so it never really stuck. It wasn't one of those things I thought, well, I really need this. And Curtis said, well, you know, maybe it's because I'm a programmer and it's all like putting pieces together. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I don't even understand that. So I got somewhere along the line that like playing chess with somebody and they would just beat the pants off me. And I would think, and no matter what I did, I couldn't make the right move. 
I could sit there and think for an hour and it wouldn't make any difference at all. And this other guy would just like boom, boom, boom in a couple of moves and he'd do it and he was there, you know, and, he'd just, and I'd be smeared. And I never understood why. I never got it. So I realized that there were some people who could just think better than I could. And that was a terrible experience to have to finally come to terms with the, when we all have to come to terms with this. You're not the fastest. You're not the prettiest. You're not the handsomest. You're not the best at some things. And then we realize that there are more and more and more and more things that were not the best. As when you're young and your, your mother's lying to you and telling you how wonderful you are and everything, and you believe it all, that's all fine. But then you start to find out little by little that you're not. And then you get into this, and then you find out the horrible side of life, your dark side. And then it's like, oh my God, I'm done. And then you go down into the valley of the shadow of death. And there's only one way out of there, and that's through it. And when you come out on the other side, you come out definitely with a little more humility than when you went in. And that's what this is about. That's what this transformation is about. That's what this process is about. It has to happen. I'm really going on and on, and we were only like three sentences in. <laughs> we could take another 20 years to finish this, I guess, at this rate. But you know what? So what? Who cares? So we, or even our powers of thought, we can doubt our powers of thought, sometimes our feelings. And again, how many times are you just absolutely certain that your feeling is right? And when you think about it, it's idiotic. And if it wasn't mechanical, you wouldn't do it. If it wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction, you know you wouldn't do it. If you thought about it, if you could stop and think, which of course isn't possible, well, it's hardly ever possible, not just when you're in it, but it's hardly ever possible because we've never been out of it because it's our consciousness and we take it for granted, which of course is what we're talking about. And by saying when you're in it, it's obvious that you think that there's sometimes that you're not in it. And that is the proof that you take your consciousness for granted. We would scarcely think of doubting our consciousness. We would never regard it as something that makes our life what it is. We know for a fact that our life isn't what it is because of us. It's because of the government. It's because of our parents. It's because of these stupid people. It's because of our neighbors. It's because of our husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, kids, parent, whatever. It's always something else. But we never think it's because of our consciousness. That would never really occur to us. And when somebody tells us that, we go, what? You, uh, huh? It's hard to believe. We want to believe it. You know, if somebody who you, who you really respect and look up to, who seems to have something together, and you want to get something from them, tells you that you want to believe them, but believing isn't the same thing as knowing and experiencing it. For example, that our experience seems divided into opposites, into black and white, into yes or no, into contradictions, wouldn't seem to us to be due to the nature of our consciousness or to the kind of mind we have, which is a direct result of our degree of consciousness. Your degree of consciousness determines what kind of mind you have. We wouldn't think that. These are not thoughts that the world produces in us. When we're driven by the world, when we're spawned, by the world. We're creatures of the world. See, we are part of the organic film that coats this planet, and we are affected by that whole film. And so we are really undulating and expanding and contracting with the organic film that coats the planet, and we don't know that because we are so unaware. 
of all the rest of it. We're not aware of it. So we don't know all of the things that are affecting us right now. We have no idea. But there's something inherent in external things themselves. We look at it and we go, well, what's not something in my consciousness? It's something out there that's making it that way. Something makes you angry. Something makes you happy. Something makes you sad. You don't think it's your consciousness that does it. You think it's something, some event, something, some person. That's what he means by we take our consciousness for granted. Through some experiences and through experiments made on himself, William James concluded that our normal waking consciousness, rational consciousness, is but one special type of consciousness. While all about it, parted from it by the flimsiest of screens, there are potential forms of consciousness entirely different. You know this now. This is an actual fact for you because you actually have, through experiments of your own, seen that you can have different states of consciousness and that they can be separated from something like as thin as this piece of paper. One second, you're this way, and a second later, you're at the opposite. How did that happen? But you take it for granted. You don't see. You don't say, how did that happen? You never see the transition. You just take it for granted that now you're this and now you're that. And you say, well, I'm depressed or I'm happy or I'm sad or I'm glad or whatever. And we never look at it like, well, what in me made that? And we look at it like, what out there made me like that? Convinced of the existence of other states of consciousness through which we experience things in quite a new way and through which we meet life in a new way, he realized that no account of the universe can ever be regarded as final, which leaves out these other forms of consciousness. This is another thing that is remarkable about us. And we've talked about this recently in, in some of the unspoken sermons that we're doing for the morning talks, that there is no ultimate truth for us. That because of our limited consciousness, we're always digging deeper and always finding something else, except when we quit. And if you look at the world and you look at yourself, you'll have to say, you have to admit that most people quit too soon. You know, it's like somebody who said, I'm a self-made man. And somebody else said, yeah, well, you quit too soon. And it's like that. We quit too soon. We take something and we think, well, that's it. That's, whole, that's the whole thing. When all you did was just get a little string hanging from this huge tapestry. And you think you've got the whole thing and all you've got is just this little end of it. And if you followed it, it would lead you to the whole tapestry and take you the rest of your life to see the whole thing. But we don't, as a rule, do that. And this work is about doing that. It's about finding these things out and doubting ourselves, finding out what really runs us. And when you find out what really runs you, then you start doubting. You have no choice. And you have to keep it up or else you'll stop doubting and you'll fall back into your ordinary state of consciousness. And he says, nor can any view of ourselves be final if we accept that our present consciousness is final. If you think this is it, then you're never going any further. But fortunately, we know that we can learn in an outer way. We can add to our false personality. So we know we can do that. And so we know that we can get better or worse at things. Now all we have to do is find our consciousness and start applying things like that to our being. If you can change your level of being, you can change your consciousness. If you can change your consciousness, you can change your level of being. They do affect one another. We're not sure how all the time, but it can work from either side. It's like a balloon. If you have a balloon filled with air or some kind of gas, and you squeeze it here, you know, you've seen those balloons, they make 
giraffes and bunnies and things out of. You can squeeze it here and it, you could stretch it and squeeze it and make it bulge here and thin there. So it's like that. If you think of the inside and the outside of the balloon, if you squeeze it from the outside, then what happens is the inside at some other part works and expands it. So our consciousness and our being are kind of like that. We don't really know how they're related. There's just this thin film between them, and we don't really know what it is. We don't really know. But if something happens to one, something happens to the other. And so in this work, we work on both. We can work on our consciousness, that is becoming more aware, and we can work on our being. But because we're not so smart, we have to work on our being by following others who know what we don't know. And obviously, most people can't do that because most people can't think there's anything higher than them. They have to have some sense of scale first. And this is really what we're talking about. We're talking about when you realize you're not the smartest and you start to doubt your power of thought. When you realize your memory is not really that perfect and your feelings are suspect. You start to realize that thing. Then you realize there is a scale. There's higher and lower. There's higher thought, lower thought. There's higher feelings, lower feelings. And from that, you can extrapolate to there's higher centers and lower centers. And that if you're in higher centers, then your quality of consciousness and your level of being is higher. You're in lower centers and your quality of consciousness and your level of being is lower. And this is all great in theory, but until you can actually start to manipulate it a little bit, until you can actually start to bring some light into your own darkness and begin to affect your life in that way, your consciousness and your being in that way, it's still all just theory. And sadly, most of the people I've met in the fourth way, it's all theory to them. And that doesn't mean it's all theory to all of them, but mostly it's just a bunch of words. And let's face it, it's been a bunch of words to us for years. And every once in a while, something just dawns on us, the light dawns, the sun comes up inside, and it's like, oh, and we get it. And then, sure enough, the sun seems to go down and we're in the darkness again. And then we have to wait for another day, which is okay because that's the process. But somehow we make that a bad thing. But it's not a bad thing. It's just the process. It's just the process. It's like the tide. It comes in, it goes out. It comes in, it goes out. And it just does that over and over and over and over again. And over thousands of years and millions of years, it affects the shoreline and the land and so on and so forth. And, and who knows how long it takes us, but there it is. Consciousness is usually defined as awareness. But this definition is actually inferior in meaning to the implication of the word itself. Consciousness means, literally, knowing together. A development of consciousness would therefore mean knowing more together. And so, it would bring about a relationship to everything previously known. For to know more always means to see things differently. Do you remember when you were learning to play chess and how hard it was to learn the rules and the moves? The rook does this, the knight does this, the queen can do this, the king can only do this, the pawn can only move one forward or two forward on the first move. All of these rules and trying to remember them all. So there's just this big learning curve. And life is like that. We can hear these things, but when you watch someone play chess and you don't know anything about it, you think, and of course it's a thinking man's game, they like to say. So everybody who wants to be somebody wants to learn how to play chess so that they can be regarded as a thinking man, which is pretty stupid when you think about it. I mean, it's a dumb reason to do something so that other people will think that you're something that you're not. 
or worse than that, that you will think that you're something that you're not. Because playing chess doesn't make you a better person. Even if you play chess well, it doesn't make you a better person. It just means you play chess well. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything else. But we make all these silly things mean all these other things because we are so poor when it comes to meaning because we don't really know what things mean. See, this is another thing we take for granted. We think we know what everything means, but we don't because we don't. So to know more always means to see things differently. And one of the things that you see differently is meaning. If you know more about a thing, it means more one way or another. You know more about a person, they either mean more or less to you as you know more about them. This is why marriages don't work so well. We don't take enough time to find out who that person is, so we never really get the meaning of that person. And so few people start out knowing the meaning of a human being, any human being, that they can never really start out from the right place. Because you don't know your meaning. Knowing someone else's meaning, you've got to start out by knowing your own meaning. And that doesn't mean applying some meaning to yourself and saying, well, this is what I mean. It means finding out what your maker meant you to be. That's the only way to know your meaning. But even if we take consciousness merely as meaning awareness, we can't imagine that it is all possible awareness. It means it's got to be some degree of awareness and one through which we are related in a particular way to whatever we know. So everyone in here is related to me in a different way. Everyone in a different way. People have their own idea about you, and it has nothing whatever to do with you, or so little to do with you, that it's like, wow. Well, you know how it is when, like, somebody at work thinks that you're this or that, and you find out, and you go, (laughs) it's just hilarious. Like that. Anyway, our degree of awareness is what relates us in a particular way to whatever it is we know. So if you have this huge awareness about chess, then your relationship with chess is completely different from someone who doesn't even know how to play the game. Someone who doesn't know how to play the game doesn't mean anything to them. But someone who's studied it for 20 or 30 years and played for 20 or 30 years every week in the park with somebody, you know, or somebody's and entered tournaments and played different ways, you know, with the clock and the whole thing. To that person, it has a whole different meaning. They, they have a love for it. It has a meaning deeper, richer. You can see that. So they're related to it differently. Our ordinary consciousness relates us to ourselves and to things. So we are related to ourselves through our consciousness. And we're related to things through our consciousness. During sleep, the quality of our consciousness has changed. You realize that when you're asleep on your bed, not asleep like you are here now, but asleep on your bed, your consciousness is different than it is when you're asleep here now. When you're on your bed and you're asleep, you don't imagine you're awake except in a dream. And you think you're awake in the dream. And who knows? Maybe you are. Maybe you're more awake in a dream than you are here. At any rate, we won't go into that. It gives one sort of awareness and relation, being asleep, than being awake. It's different. When we awake, the degree of awareness and the form of relation is changed. When you are asleep, your bed, you have one form of consciousness toward your bed. When you wake up, you have a different form of consciousness toward your bed in your bedroom. You look around, it's like, oh, here I am in my bedroom. And we all know sometimes we wake up some places, some strange place, and we go, oh, where am I? That is our consciousness changing and trying to relate to wherever we are. And our consciousness hasn't caught up with 
we haven't gotten back totally back into our ordinary state of consciousness. So we could be in the same room, but not know where we are. The same room you've awoken in a thousand times, but suddenly you don't know where you are. Well, that's because your consciousness, the degree of your consciousness is different. So clearly during sleep, the quality of our consciousness has changed. When we wake, the degree of consciousness and the form of relation is changed. But though we may admit the truth of this, we don't think that still further kinds of consciousness may be possible, giving new degrees of awareness and relation. Nor do we think that many of our insoluble difficulties, perplexities, and unanswered questions necessarily exist because of the kind of consciousness we naturally possess. I'll give you an example. I taught for a time that God's will is not done on earth. And someone in the group got all depressed because God's will is not done on earth. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then clearly God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. But all he heard because of his consciousness was that God's will isn't done on earth. And he got depressed. And then he brought up his depression one week. And I said, well, just because God's will isn't done on earth as it is in heaven doesn't mean God's will isn't done on earth. It just means it isn't done on earth as it's done in heaven. And he got it. He put two and two together and he, he like it got it. It expanded his consciousness. And suddenly that perplexity, that problem, that state of consciousness that he was in, he was out of. It was like, oh, he could be happy again, which, of course, means only that he's going to only be happy until he fell into another hole. Because if there's that much darkness in you, you're going to fall in a hole. It's just a matter of time. Until you can get some more light inside, you're going to fall into a hole. You do know this, right? You know that when it's broad daylight and you're walking around outside, it's a lot more difficult to trip and fall over things. Not for everybody, I admit. There's some people like Lori who could trip and fall if the sun were shining like noon. But there are other people who, like Rex, who can walk around in the dark like there's light. They're just people who are different because of their different consciousness, their different experiences, but it's really different consciousness. I have to tell Lori a lot, wake up, you know, wake up. She's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. About stumbling over things, not about everything. I don't know what your comfort food is because that's what it's about. It's about your consciousness where I could say, what's your comfort? Oh, hamburgers. is, And pizza? Oh, is pizza is your? What about hamburgers? I thought that was one. Pizza even more than hamburgers. Okay, so if I say pizza is like certainly not a comfort food to me, but some people say mashed potatoes and gravy, and it's like, they'll die for mashed potatoes and gravy. What's yours? Really? Oh, that's right, because of your grandparents. Yeah, soup. Yeah, because of your grandparents, Russian immigrants. Yeah? It's that soup. Yeah, I get it. And some people, it's spaghetti and meatballs, and some people, it's chicken cacciatore, and and some people's ho-hos and ding-dongs, I don't know, and chocolate milk, I don't know. But, but everybody's got something that is comfort food to them. Mac and cheese, right? Grilled cheese sandwiches and french fries. You know, so everybody's got something. And you say that, and it's like it just produces uh, this feeling in them. This is completely being run by the world. There needs to be something inside of you that can stand against that. But most people don't have anything inside of them that can stand against that. They have nothing firm. They have nothing solid. They have nothing unchanging. There's no rock inside of them. It's all shifting sand. And so they're pushed in this direction. They go in that direction. They're pushed in this direction. They go in that direction. Or they resist, which means they're still controlled by the same thing. So whether you're going with it or resisting it, 
if you're unconscious about it, you're controlled by it. We're never going to finish, I can tell right now, because I'm like nowhere near this, and we're over half an hour into this. Oh, well, I'm going to finish honest. Well, finish, meaning I'm going to stop. I don't, we're not going to finish. I'm just going to stop. We're going to run out of time, and I'm going to stop. I'm going to find a place to stop, and I'm going to stop there and put a little zero eight next to it. And next week, I'll know that's where we're going to go, where we're going to start. I have a start-stop switch. Over here, I have a start-stop thing. So stop and record. So we're on record now, and I'll press the stop button at a certain point, and then we'll wait till next week, and I'll push the record button again at a certain point, and, and we'll do that. Anyway, don't you feel sorry sometimes for the people in podcast land? I mean, seriously, you know? No, you don't at all. You are so hard. You don't either? What's with you guys? No compassion. I, I feel sorry for them sometimes because they're interested enough to listen, but not interested enough to be here. I feel sorry for people like that. I feel sorry for people who are interested enough to buy a book, but not interested enough to read it. I feel sorry for people who are interested enough to be interested in something, but not interested enough to do something about it. I feel sorry for people like that because doing, you are what you do, not what you say, not what you think, you are what you do. And people imagine all kinds of things. They imagine that they're doers when they're not at all. So I, I kind of feel sorry for people like that. I mean, I mean, when I say feel sorry for them, I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm going to swallow a Band-Aid because my heart's bleeding for them or anything. But I think, gee, that's just sad. It's such a waste. When I wanted to learn about this, I moved. You know, I moved. I moved from the state I was living in to a different part of the country and went to school to learn about this. And I think that's what you should do. I think that you should follow that. And the people who don't, I think, what a waste. You know, here's the open door. Here's the chance. And they waste it. Not that they won't get another chance. Maybe they will. I don't know. But anyway, that's just my personal thing. Nor do we think that many of our insoluble difficulties where we left off perplexities and unanswered questions necessarily exist because of the kind of consciousness we naturally possess, and that a new degree of consciousness would either cause our awareness of them to disappear or bring an entirely new relation to them. You know, when you find out the truth about something, let's, let's say you heard that so-and-so robbed the bank. And you think, oh, what a horrible thing to do. Today we were talking about this guy who they just uh, traded five Taliban guys for some guy. And it's being touted as, oh, my God, how wonderful we are that we would sacrifice, you know, all this for one soldier. And then you start reading about it and you find out that six soldiers died looking for this guy when he walked off base and decided he just didn't want to play anymore. He didn't want to be in the army anymore. He wanted to just leave. So he left all his weapons and walked off while he was on guard duty. Now, of course, this will be fought out for a thousand years now. Well, not a thousand years, for a couple of weeks until the next news thing comes up and diverts our attention from that because we haven't got enough anything solid in us to be able to follow something through. We'll only be blown about like a rudderless ship in a storm. We'll just be blown about wherever the wind takes us is where we'll go. It'll never come to anything because... Nothing ever comes to anything for us. And Curtis said, well, maybe, you know, he was like 
undercover. Curtis didn't want to judge the guy. He, it's not fair to judge the guy. And it's like, okay, well, then don't judge him. And so Curtis then proceeded to judge him by saying, well, maybe he was undercover. And, you know, and this is just this big ploy so that he could get into the Taliban and, you know, and find out all this information or better yet, give them information that our government wanted to give them false information like that, which was a great story. I mean, I love the fact that he's, he should be a writer. And anyway, I thought it was a great story because I, quite frankly, never thought of that. I never thought of anything other than I was just sifting through the facts. There were these people in his platoon who knew him for years and served with him. And they had this and this and this to say. And then there's this other person who doesn't really want to judge him, and he's making up this other story. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. But for me, from my perspective was, I'm inclined to believe the eyewitnesses. I mean, that's just me. Now, am I inclined to believe everything they say? No, no. But I certainly give more weight to that, to an eyewitness report, than I do to somebody's pizza dream. <laughs> they ate too much pizza, they fell asleep, you know, and they had this dream, and then they woke up and said, well, this is what I think it is. Okay, whatever. My point is, the more you find out about something, you relate to it differently. So how do I feel about this guy? Well, I don't know. I don't have really any feelings about this guy. I am suspicious. First of all, I'm suspicious. Why would we trade five guys for one guy? Well, he's a prisoner of war. So that's what being a soldier is about. It can happen. You can also get killed. And if you go to soldiering and you think that you couldn't get killed, well, then I have to ask you, if someone needs to knock on your helmet, you know, hello, McFly, are you in there? If you're going to be a soldier and you're going to carry a gun and you're going to go into a war and other people have guns and they're shooting at you, you could get hurt. They could put a hole in you and your fluids could leak out, you know, and worse. Like all kinds of things can happen. So if you don't know that, then I really wonder. So this guy gets over there and he decides, well, I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to play anymore. The more you find out that you relate differently to the story. That's all. Now, I'm not ready to make some kind of judgment about the guy. I don't know. And you know what? The bottom line is, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. This is really, truly none of my business. This is one of those problems that come about from us knowing too much and too little at the same time. We have this information that's incomplete, biased, warped, twisted information. So already we know too much. So we should either know it all or know as much as can be known or know what everybody knows, if we're going to make a judgment, or know nothing about it. Now, since there's nothing you can do one way or the other, in my personal opinion, I'm better off knowing nothing about it. I'm better off knowing something about myself and nothing about him. Because if I know something about myself, then perhaps I will know something about him. You remember what they said about Jesus? He entrusted himself to no man because he knew well what was in man. He knew well what was in man because he knew well what was in himself. And the people who know other people are the people who know themselves. The most dangerous person you can be around is a person who knows himself. Because if you're not authentic, one of the first things Curtis said was, I read this thing that, that this guy said, and Curtis said, what an idiot. He should have never admitted that. And I said, what, he should have lied? And of course, Curtis didn't mean that. He didn't mean to say, he should have lied, but he said that. I mean, he doesn't think he said that, but I heard it instantly. I heard he should have lied, and I think differently. I think, no, he should tell the truth. Whatever the truth is, if he is an honorable man and he has integrity and he wants to clear this up, he needs to tell the truth. But the truth is not something that people want to tell today. 
The truth is not something that people do tell today. We are encouraged to lie. We expect people to lie. It's like we started off tonight. And I said, why would someone say something like that? And Lori said, well, so you don't hurt their feelings. I said, oh, because you lie so you don't hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. So we expect people to lie. We require lies from people because we don't love the truth. What we love is our feelings. What we love is how we look to other people. What we love is how we're related to other people, or how we think, or how we want them to think of us. So we lie. We pretend. We fake it. We have a false personality with which we meet the world. And it's a lie. And because we believe in false personalities, we have to believe in lies. And so we say, what an idiot. He should have never admitted that. And I say, he's an idiot if he doesn't admit it. Because I'll tell you what. The truth will come out. It may not come out in our lifetimes, and it may not come out in a thousand years, but eventually the light will shine, and the truth will come out. And don't fool yourself. What you sow, you will reap. Truth is everything.